0: Good morning. Wonderful to be up here bringing the words uh, today. Um, This is probably the first time I've ever really gone and looked at the Old Testament on the basis that I'm going to preach on it. So this is quite an exciting and nerve-wracking moment for me. But I've been so encouraged as I've looked through the Word and just studied some of the Old Testament, how much I was missing. So I'd encourage you to try and do the same. Um, So can we get my first slide up? So, today is entitled, it's from the Living Life Without the Fear series, but it's called I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And I'll explain why as we get out. That's not me, by the way, I'm not the celebrity. Um, But I'll take you through this. Now, um, if you don't know, we're we're preaching in a series that's going to last 40 weeks. Um, It's like going through the desert for 40 weeks. It's going to go for 40 weeks, but not consecutively, around Living Life Without the Fear, based on the book of Joshua. And for two weeks now, Simon has been rambling godly on about this book and not actually reading it and guess what neither am i so we're still not going to go into joshua because we really want to just spend some time almost putting joshua in a real context why are we bothering with this book of the old testament so before we go in which is next week i promise you if he doesn't i'll get up and read the whole of joshua one to you next week we're going to go into joshua we're just doing one more uh, week of looking at something before we go in so um we're going to try some new technology, which might work. Let's see. Nope. can you put my next slide up then? There you go. Look, I'll do it without my hands now. Never mind. We'll keep trying that. We're going to work it out one day. Um, so I'm going to take us back a little bit into, uh, into Deuteronomy. But first of all, I want to just remind you of the five words that uh, Simon um, said really shook the whole nation of Israel. And it's the first line of Joshua 1.1, 1, 1, which is why we've never got past the first verse. It just said, After the death of Moses, like a nonchalant casual, where Moses died and now here's the next bit. And that was a huge thing for the nation of Israel. So um, we're going to go back into that. But the important thing is knowing that Moses himself knew about his impending death. He was told, there was a whole series at the back end of Deuteronomy that talks to him about him about to die. Um, And when he would announce that to the millions of Israelites, this would have been a big big deal Moses was the big kahuna you know the big guy the the number one the man that they had followed admittedly round and round but for years out of slavery and then for 40 years round and round they followed Moses and Moses was a big deal to them he was the guy who did so many things that we'll look at again but I just want to start with quite a long verse I want to read uh, Deuteronomy 31 so do you want to try and pop that up for me here we go so I'll read this to you um so this is Deuteronomy 31. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all of Israel. I am now 120 years old and am no longer able to lead you. I just want to pause for a sec there. If you read another part of Deuteronomy, it says that Moses was not ill. He was not incapable physically of leading people. It's actually he was no longer able because God was making a change. The Lord God has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all of Israel Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land the Lord swore to their forefathers to give to them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he ends by saying, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. God knew, Moses knew, but God knew and said it through Moses. When he said, I'm not going to go with you, one thing that would have gripped them is fear. Hang on a minute. We've followed you for 40 years. You're our man who speaks to god and then speaks to us and you're not going to go through you we're set on you i know we we worship god true but we're set on you as far as you're the constant in our life you're the one that we know is going to do the work for us and that would have been so huge so um there would have been fear discouragement real concern and yet god knew that he got moses to say to the people don't be afraid do not fear And I'll I'll try and explain hopefully why that is so important to us as a church. If we just pop up the next slide. The way I'm going to do this, I'm going to go through um, three key points. I'm going to go through who is our leader. I'm going to talk about how are we therefore to be led. And I'm going to go to say how does this all counter my fears, as in any one of us and our fears. So uh, next slide, guys, just for me for a while. So who is our leader? Now, that may seem like a bit of a dumb question. I mean, for you, if I said to you, or someone said to you in the street, well, who's, who's the leader of your church? You'd say, well, there's Andy, and then there's Simon, and Simon's the team leader, so I guess Simon's the leader of the church, and that would be a very short preach, but that's not actually, I, you know, done. Okay, topic two, please. No, it's not actually, and you'll no doubt understand where I'm going with this, but it's part of the challenge that many of us are gonna have to face. Now, I'm, you know, for those of you who are young in the congregation, like myself, you laughed you cruel people you laughed when i said i was young but those that are younger than me so in your 20s actually in your 30s even in your early 40s you're younger than me you will um have to accept one thing that unless jesus comes back relatively soon and no one's to say he isn't and kind of most days i pray that he would unless he comes back soon i won't be around when this king when this church is taken up with christ there's every chance that may be the outcome. No one knows the date. Lots have tried. supposed to be 2000, wasn't it? Lots have tried to say, Jesus will come back at this moment. We don't know when that will be. So there's every chance that when Jesus comes back to take this church up, I will either be in a wheelchair, you know, quietly with my on, just, you know, sipping my tea and sleeping most of the day and uh, doing a lot less than I do now. Or I may be gone. I may already be up there waiting to be with... Don't be disappointed. The days just go down. No, no, thanks. Cheers. Um, but neither will Simon, even though he's he's younger than me. He may not be around at that time. So it's really important we grasp that concept um, in our minds, because, like I say, I'm not looking to be here forever. Eternity is not for me now. It's something for the future. I can't imagine myself in my 70s or 80s kind of still trying to do the level of stuff I do now. So at some point in my life, there's going to be a change that will come. But I'll come back to how we're going to be led in that context. Um, but it's, in, it's really vital that you know that this church, um, Christ First Watford, is not a club. I've probably used that analogy many times before. This is not a club for people who love each other. This is not the Christian club where you come to that Simon and I decided one day, let's start up a club and we'll see how many people want to join and you be the chairman and I'll be the the operational guy and we'll kind of organise some, every Sunday we'll have this meeting and we'll just see how many people fancy coming along. That's not how it works. It's not a club for people who love each other. And I was sort of preparing and I wrote something that I just want to read out to you that was my own words but I felt God was really laying on my heart. If you're someone who's visiting X1 regularly, at some point, preferably now, you'll be confronted by your own sin. And you'll be, you'll be confronted by the risen Saviour. Now, just I'm going to pause for a minute. This morning as we were praying in the Holy fire exit. I don't know if you know about this place, but whenever we gather in the morning to pray in there, there's just a sense of God really being amongst us in the holy fire exit. And um, the word that kept coming to me is confrontation. And I thought, wow. And then as we were sort of singing this morning, we're singing about love. I thought, if I use the term confrontation, people might misunderstand what I mean. But God was saying, I want to confront several people in this room with their own sin. I want to make people realize and confront them with the fact that you're never going to work it through yourself. You are a sinner. We are all sinners. And for some of us, we think, no, 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 no there's, there's sinners and there's me. There's bad people and there's me, the good guy. And I'm not really a sinner. I don't sin as much as this person over here or that person over there. I don't murder, so I'm not a sinner. Yet we're all sinners. And I forgot So I'm going to confront some people with that this morning. And that was kind of a, a big thing for me, because I think that is what's going to happen. People will be confronted by their own sin. And then they'll realize there's a risen Savior who redeems you from that. It's not the church. The church... Will never ever redeem you from your sin. Christ is the one that redeems. Christ through his spirit is the one that will draw you into him and form a relationship between you and him. But the church itself is just the body of believers that comes together. Your salvation is yours and yours alone. Not dependent on X1, not dependent on your safe partner, your children, your parents or your friends. When we stand in judgment and when we stand in victory before the throne of God, there's something that happened as I was preparing last night that made me sort of go, oh, Lord. We stand alone. We don't stand together with, there's Andy Smith. That's my name, by the way, and his family. It's, there's Andy Smith. And then there's another, there's Jane Smith. And there's another, there's Jessica Smith. And there's another moment of, there's Joel Smith. We don't stand as a group who say, Lord, look. Here's Andy and Simon. Look at all the people we brought. We just go in as a batch. The X1 batch into the kingdom together. We all go, hey, and we go and look, and then you think you see another church of thousands walking, and a church of twenty walking. It's you. You, you, me, will stand in front of the Lord, God. And Jesus is probably going to do something like this. Now, don't accuse me of heresy, but he's going to say, Father, this is Andy Smith. He's going to say, Father, this is Rachel McGovern father this is martin murray i know him his name's written in my lamb's book of life that is that is it that is it that is salvation in your name your name written in this there's, there's two books of life this is what i'm saying. there's a book of life of everyone born but there's the lamb's book of life that's the book when you're written in when you accept christ as your savior through his spirit that's the moment when your name in full. Andrew David Smith in my case. See, not a funny middle name, never mind. Um, Andy Horatio Smith, whatever it might be, is written in full and then Jesus says Father, Andy Smith every one of you will have that experience if you put your faith in Christ he will introduce you by name What a book to get written in What a book. It's not a registry Smith in, Abraham's in. It's a moment of Wow, and that is to me, what uh, all of this is Christ who saves you, by his spirit who will save you, you personally, your own name. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. huh? Hallelujah. I'll sit down in a minute, I think. Um, <laughs> so Christ first can't save you, Simon can't save you, I can't save you, I can't redeem one of your sins, no matter how mine it was. Was it the kicking in the corner of the bed and going, oh, was that I can't do anything to redeem you of that? Only Christ will wipe your slate clean and put you pure in front of the Father. Your faith must always rest in Him. Your relationship is only really with Him. That changes an aspect of how we look at leadership. The moment we start, the moment you potentially start to see me or Simon, who's definitely a bigger uh, uh, character than I am, in front of Christ... The moment you say to someone who leads your church, well, we are church, we're the church with uh, Simon Lee Jones or Randy Smith, or we're the church of, uh, that follow Mike Pilavachi over at Soul Survivor, or we follow that person, if you're not careful what you're actually saying, we're already getting into a dangerous territory. If we pop up the next um, slide, there's this, this forward belief about leadership. This comes from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, I read this recently during a meeting. It was, I appeal to you brothers in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no division among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels amongst you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Another says, I follow Christ. Only the last one is correct. Everything else is putting a person in front of Christ. And that's our danger. That's our, our potential weakness in when we look at our, the leader of any church and say, well, it's, that's the person I'm following. Because that person is human and flawed. Honestly, but, but I am. No, no, don't challenge me. Honestly, I am human and flawed. <laughs> Thank you, Sue. And someone had to say it. But they are. And they will, in some respects, fail. At some point, we will make mistakes and we will fail and we will let you down. And if your faith is so wrapped up in us as we stumble and fall and show you that we're flawed, you go, Phew, maybe not so good anymore. There's only one who'll never fail you, only one that will never, ever make an error, only one who came back and never sinned, only one. Moses, Moses sinned. Moses didn't glorify God and got in some trouble about it. There's only one who ever, ever can be that wrong. So as we look at Moses, we potentially realise something. One of the reasons that that Moses would not have gone into the promised land, it was through his own failings in some respects, but the other reason was that I believe, and this is really very much of me feeling when I was preparing for this, he'd become too much of a celebrity. The Jewish nation, the Israelites, had started to say, he's our saviour. Moses is the one who led us out of slavery, put us on a merry-go-round for 40 years, and then he's going to take us into the promised land that God promised. He's our saviour. The promised land would have probably been called Moses' land, would, because because he delivered on what probably many people believed he was promising, but it was God's promise. It was His promise to us, and therefore, in some respects, Moses didn't go in for reasons we know about, but also because I believe God wanted to work through someone else to take the people to show them that it was God who was going to take them finally into the promised land. And therefore he brought through uh, almost unknown in the form of Joshua to do that. Because without God, now Moses is an amazing character. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not in the remotest way ever going to sort of knock Moses. The story of his life is amazing to read. But he would be, without God, he would just be a no one, a nothing. He would actually probably be dead. He would have been drowned in the Nile when they tried to wipe out the Israel sort of boys, just drowned them all. He would have been drowned. But you know the story, he was saved and raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Um, just, um, she, he was born the son of a Levite and he was found and raised by Pharaoh's daughter and God worked through him and did amazing miracles turned him from a stuttering, stammering kind of guy into someone who could just speak to millions and then you see him lead the Jewish nations through the Red Sea, bring the law do uh, amazing, powerful things burning bush, all these kind of things that Moses, we read the stories of Moses doing and you think, wow, God was so with him but Moses was truly obedient to God Moses didn't big himself up God, I hate that expression, it's so fake American. But Moses didn't do that kind of stuff. Moses didn't say, look at me, I am Moses. He always, always, always professed to be you know, driven and led by and, and spoken to by God. So you can now see that he stands up in front of the Jewish nation in Deuteronomy 31 and says, I'm not going to go with you. And at that moment, the Jewish nation just sink. And no, not Moses. You're, gonna, you're not even going to be alive when we go in. You're going to die? Yeah, I'm going to die. and I'm going to hand over the leadership to this, this guy, Joshua. God knew what he was doing. He always knows what he's doing. And he knew perfect timing. This is time to take Moses away and put Joshua in. But it's time for me, God, to take the Israelites into the promised land. And therefore there was a call on Joshua and the way that he would lead. So can we put up the next slide for guys? So this raises a question really now, as we start to look at that, if we take away kind of some of the things that I spoke about around personality and putting all our faith in an individual, and it puts a challenge up to me of how are we to be led? Now I get in trouble occasionally, I've got in trouble with Simon once or twice for um, leaning on my business sort of background too much. But he's not here, so I'm going to do it again. Um, I just want to talk about leadership. Now, there is a a school of thought in in churches that say, look, you really can't compare business leadership to um, church leadership. And I argue, actually, in some respects, you definitely can. There's some things that are comparable when you're leading a business and when you're leading a church. And, And they're up, if you want to pop them up here. So when we look at the qualities of a strong leader, now I use the word strong, so before you read that, hear the word strong, I didn't say successful leader, strong leader in a business context and a strong leader in a church context, we have these qualities, you know, the same qualities between the two. A good business leader is often a very visionary person who everyone thinks, I know where he's going, I know where she's going, I know where we're going as a business, I know where that's taking us, and they can articulate the vision and almost be bold within it. You need to be a very good communicator, and most good business people are good Communicators Again, not successful. You could probably quote me f- many examples of bo- people who are successful but are horrible communicators just because of their cutthroat nature. I said strong, yeah? I didn't say successful. They need to be trustworthy. leader of a church has to be trustworthy, but also the leader of a business. You really have to trust them if you're going to go the extra effort. Otherwise, you'll just do the bare minimum you can, and at 4.59, you'll be just waiting, and then you'll be out the door because you have no real trust and no real belief in the company. And they need to be able to bring out the best in people. Anyone of a business, more than one or two people, you're going to have to find a way to get people to do things when you're not there over the top of them. And that's what the qualities, I would say, are shared within a church context and within a business context. But there is some fundamental big differences between leadership of a church and the sort of leadership you're seeing people like Joshua and leadership of a business. And that's the next batch. So if you want to just pop that up for me, guys. The first thing is servanthood. Leaders of churches, leaders like Joshua, leaders like Moses, had to have a heart of servanthood. But that was truly, truly exemplified in Christ himself, who was a servant. Mark 10:43 to 45 says, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first amongst you must be a slave. For even the Son of Man, did not come to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is not a concept that sits well in business now. If you say actually your role is to be a servant to your people, then you start to hit some real, Ah, hang on a minute, then, uh, then they won't respect me. I'm the boss. It's me. I'm the boss. I have to continue to maintain respect by being the boss. And being the boss doesn't mean being a servant. And yet Christ comes as a servant and we hear in mark about that servant heart the next one is we have to be under shepherds so we have to care for guard nurture the flock we have to make sure you guys are okay and that goes through um praying for you and being involved in situations you find difficult and one peter helps me with this one five two to three says be shepherds of god's flock that is under your care serving as overseers not because you must but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So again, there's a contrast there between the business world, because in many respects, care is kind of the job of HR. You give that to human resources. They're the kind of caring bit of the business, the finance part of the business. They're just numbers, operational make things, and that's how it works. You don't expect a boss to be really in a position of anything over a certain size, to be able to really, does he really care, does he really know about And yet we have to, uh, as leaders of a church, and we cannot do it purely ourselves, but care for you, make sure you're looked after. And that starts to happen through what's going to happen very soon, is the creation of the small group structure, through pastoral care in small groups. As this church gets bigger, and we are getting bigger, if you're not sure, turn around and take a look. You know, this is bigger, and this is not full turnout. This is a church that probably, we only, when we first began, if you're a visitor, just so you know, we only used the bottom half. That part was cordoned off, because we thought, you know, you don't want to spread people out too much. Now, if you all did come forward, I don't know why you go up there. It's like being in the back of the bus, you're just naughty school kids, but if you wanted to come all down the front here, there wouldn't be enough seats for you. Now, that's a huge change in, in us as a church in the space of several months. But we have to care for the flock. We have to put in a structure that says that we can care for many through a structure of small groups and you're going to see that happening very, very soon. Church leaders need to be a witness. 1 Peter five one says, To the elders amongst you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering and one who is also will share the glory to be revealed. We are to be a witness at all times. We have to be almost on point at any moment. I went out on uh, Thursday, I think it was, with an old friend of mine I, I, I used to be in a recording studio with him many, many years ago, and I only wanted to meet him for half an hour. We had a three-hour lunch, because he just asked me some really tough questions about Christ. And I thought, you know what? I'd love to, I've got to, I should go home. I really should, I've got things to do. But I stayed there for three hours just to talk to him, and answered half his questions, and the rest I said man I have to come back to you that 's tough stuff, but a great but that 's to be a witness at all opportunities. The next one I think is big to be humble obedient sorry to be humble obedient men of God romans twelve three says for, the, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think rather think of yourself with sober judgment in, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you again. Humble and obedient is not a characteristic that you're encouraged to do in a business situation, but in a church situation, it's critical that you're led by guys who are humble. We are nothing without God. We're here to serve you. But fundamentally, you know that we're being obedient to God's call. If you know that's happening, then you start to see through us and see God at move in the church. You can see he's told them to do that, and that's why they're doing it. I'm sure for many of you, the transition from Queen's School to View would have been up I'm not sure but we were sure we had to at some points and it was probably not the way you wanted to to, have to do it say we're going I know it's going to be difficult I know there's no room for certain things I know there's no space but God's told us to do it and we're going to do it and the fruit again is in the room Many of you are the fruit of this move to this place, and that was because God told us to do it, and we were obedient and did it. We didn't lord it over you. We humbly, hopefully, did it and just said, this is what God's asking us to do, and at some point, he's going to move us somewhere else. We're not going to be here permanently. Don't say yes. (laughs) I mean, yes in the sense of he's taking us somewhere else, I know, not in the sense of, yes, get out of here. and they, we need to be, you need to see men who pray and study the word and teach. Acts 6, 4, um, and we will give our attention to prayer, ministry of the word. When the um, apostles set apart some people to do the kind of work of the church, the next thing was they said, right, now now we're free, we're free of duties. We're not going to suddenly take it easy. We now go and we study the word and we pray and we teach. That's our fundamental set-apart role in many respects. When someone's called to be a leader, it is to teach an elder is to teach, the role primarily is to teach, and to be the person who says this is what God's saying to us and set those visions. So, I didn't say success, and that's important. The role of leadership in the church, it, success is just not the same in a church context. Success in a, in a uh, if we said, look, that primary aim is to be successful, you'd say, how do you measure that? And you'd measure it by numbers. So we're rejoicing in the fact there's many here. We, we, we measure it by how many people are in the church. You know, how much is the offering? I said a bit earlier about that. How mu- how, give me some numbers to prove that you're being successful. And then what we'd have is the worst thing possible come. Church league tables. We'd have this kind of, mm, they must be doing really well because they're kind of 500. Never mind, 300. I once had someone challenge me in, in, a, in a morning prayer meeting when I used to get up early and pray with people. Um, doesn't happen anymore. I used to get up really, really early, um, and I used to pray with some guys. And one morning he said, what's going to be our target for this year for numbers saved? How, how many we should, we should we aim for? And I said, oh, let me think. How about one? How about one person plucked from hell? How about one person pulled from the fire? How about one person saved from a life without God? How about just saving one person from their sin? And then we'll go for another one. Please don't say five, because if we get four, we're going to go, only four saved, never mind. Four people saved would be amazing. One person saved is amazing. I'm so grateful I was not a statistic on someone's, you know, save your tally chart. I got another one in. And there's many things that then if you become results orientated, if you start to lead on the basis of results, you fall into a couple of traps. One is you start to do things that increase those numbers we say let's not talk about money because it upsets people let's not talk about that that's always a touchy subject we'll just leave that one let's not talk about hell Mm, that's always dangerous in fact let's not even talk about sin let's just talk about love and god being wonderful and just put your hand up and everything will get sorted that'll fill up the entire church for a while And as we've seen in in our culture, the church has just started to crumble because of the lack of absolute, honest, truth, gospel-spoken, Christ-breathed, God-breathed, word of God that sometimes really does hurt and challenges us in many ways. We will not do that. We will not sink into compromise. We just can't afford to do it. It's too much. Um... As I shared with some of you at a meeting a few weeks ago, the first thing I was told in a meeting where I went as an elders meeting with the apostolic team before we prayed was, just remember, guys, elders get judged more harshly than everyone else. So I have to know that I cannot compromise the word of God. I can't say it says that, but it's written years ago. Don't worry about it. It's just not the way we can lead. The other side of success is when you see colossal growth, a church or a a movement or something happening and thousands of people start to attend. And then you get into a different area of difficulty because you get into the area of, look what I've done. And the person gets put in front of God's amazing work. Now, we've seen some things in our lifetime, especially over in the States, where God has begun some amazing work. And people who are humble and obedient to God, that work continues on. For some of us, we went to see the Arnotts recently. They were part of a huge change of a church in America. They're still there, still doing it. Very humble, very unassuming. The moment you get a church leader that does the kind of, Way, it's me, it's me, the TV screen's blasted with their names. It says, come and meet so-and-so. So if we ever heard a banner outside that wasn't covered up by a restaurant, if any of you noticed today, we've heard a banner outside that said, come and hear Andy Smith preach and in the corner it said X1 Christ first, we've lost it we've gone completely the wrong direction so that's the other risk of, of trying to be successful, when it's brought never ever move yourself in front of the success and say, see I knew I was right, I knew I was going it right, because God will eventually, and he has to many leaders of many churches or movements eventually pulls them down, and it's so public and so painful, because by then people have gone into Moses mode and said we follow him We follow Brian Jones. He's the one that we're following. He's the man. Oh my word, he's not done that, has he? Oh no, and they leave. Because the man, the person gets between them and God and Christ. Sorry? Yes, thank you very much, brother. Worldly success is judged on proven results in a numerical form. Godly success is based on obedience in him, resulting in tr- lives transformed in you. I'll read that again. Worldly success is judged on proven results in numerical form. Godly success is based on obedience in him, resulting in lives transformed in you and me. That's how we're judged, because we're only judged as an individual. We only, I'll go back to it, you only stand in front of God and say, he needs to say these words to me. These are the words I want to hear him say. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the only thing I want to hear him say. I don't want to hear him say bad stuff, but I also want to see him say, let's run through all the good, oh, that date, that was a really good thing you did. I just want to hear him say, well done, you did the best you could, and you listened to me, and you were obedient. That has to be the passion of all of us. <sighs> Those who are put in leadership of a people like Moses was and like Joshua became are nothing more if they're truly people of God vessels through which God works and it's the obedience of Joshua that, that astounds us it was it was God asked Joshua to do some really odd stuff. I don't know if you've read it yet, but certainly if you read the first sort of six or seven chapters, he had to be obedient to so some really odd callings. He was asked, to, as they crossed the Jordan, it involved some stones, if you've read that being put in. And the, the Jericho, you know the story of Jericho as the walls came down? The story, I'm, I'm not going to ruin it, because I'm sure half of you would have heard it anyway, and you'll hear it in songs and things, marching round it every day, seven days, seventh day, Blast the trumpets, give a loud shout, and the walls are going to fall down. Now, come on, on day three, you mu- they must have been going around, he better have this right. He better be right. He better- this is a big place to walk around. He- if he's wrong, we're going to look so stupid on day seven, when we stand there and all go, Aah! and they all go, hi, what are you doing? Is it military. You're supposed to be an army. What military campaign is this walking around thing for seven days, and eventually, when you're done, you're going to shout at me? And yet they shout at the walls, and the walls come down. So Joshua heard this and had to tell the people who were, the trumpeters and everyone of the guys carrying the Ark of the Covenant, this is what we're going to do. And do you think they all went, you're out of your might. Or we're going we're gonna to do something else. No, they just went, God's with you. We know God's with you. That's the strangest thing ever. Move to a cinema, really weird. God's with you, Just we're just going to go and do it. We're going to run out of time, as always. So let me just cut through a couple of things. Um, Just pop the next slide up for me, guys. There's only one thing on this earth that's guaranteed to change. Not my slide. It's back one, sorry. Is everything. Everything is going to change. Let me just say that again if it's not up there. No, it's not. Click on, guys. Sorry. Only one thing on this earth is guaranteed to change and that's absolutely everything nothing stays the same nothing stays the same despite all the facial creams we will start to look older nothing's gonna change despite all the diets i will get fatter i speak from deep personal experience I stop laughing I think the thing for me about when we look at this whole story of Moses, I can see some parallels in our church life. Again, if you're new here, you might not know this, but in the last sort of, well, in the history of this church, there's been several changes of leadership. And we, had, we were led by, uh, a few years ago, a guy called Terry McGovern, who was called up by God to go up into Inverness and faithfully did that. Prior to him was Graham Atkins. And we, we had these, the leadership changes of recent, and I, I'm trying not to get into too much of that today, but... There's been a lot of change, but the thread, the constant through it all, and the faithfulness of Graham Atkins and Terry McGovern was seeking God and this church, not seeking themselves. They were faithful to building this church. This is the same church many years later. We are, this is the legacy of their work. And Joshua leading the people into the promised land wasn't like Joshua turning up and saying, nice try Moses, now it's my turn. The legacy of Moses' work was in Joshua as he led those people in. And no matter who eventually is leading this church the day that Christ comes back and we all go up, that won't be the person individually. Firstly, God did it. He was the constant through all of this. And that will be the legacy of any of us, any that led you. Our legacy will be what gets taken up. God did the cruelest of things to Moses at the very end in 34, I think, Deuteronomy. He didn't do it cruel, cool, you know what I mean? But he took him up onto the mountainside. He went, there is the promised land. That's it. You're not going. Did anyone, was it Bullseye? Does anyone remember the, the quiz show Bullseye? Is that the one when he used to go, let's have a look at what you could have won? He's like, you've won the toaster, <laughs> but but there's actually a speedball. Let's have a look at that. I mean, it was so cruel. It was like, you know, you see him go... Oh, If I only I'd got that mm, right, I would have had a speedboat, got a toaster. It was a straight, it was like the and it, uh, just the weirdest thing to do in a quiz show. Really was mean. And I was reading Deuteronomy thirty-four, thinking you've just done a Ted Bowen or whatever his name was on Moses. You get a look what you could have won, Moses. You could have had the promised land, but God doesn't have a Yorkshire accent. Can we make that really clear? Oh <laughs> uh, heresy of, of, but he actually showed him it. But Moses didn't go, ah. He just went, hallelujah, they're going to go in. And he just went back and said, God's going to take, God's going to go before you. Joshua's going to walk you in and I'm going to go. He didn't condemn it. He didn't say, I failed you. It's rubbish, sorry for all the 40 years of merry-go-rounds. Joshua obviously had the map all along. He's going to take you in. It didn't happen like that. He knew his legacy of what God had called him to do. His obedience would take, with, with, with the push that went behind them, but Joshua was going to lead them. That's, that's what I kind of brought, draw as a parallel from all of this. So, I'm going to jump into the how this should apply to you. Next slide, please, guys, I think. There you go. So how do we apply all this? How does this all kind of connect together for us? First things first, follow God, don't follow personalities. If I become more and more entertaining and more and more kind of wear bigger shirts and weirder, don't say Andy's getting better, just look for God in me, Me preaching God to you, me sharing God with you. And that's the same for your cell leaders or for you in a one-on-one relationship where you're trying to help someone through something. Look for God in what they're telling you. Try not to look for counselling advice. You know, just toughen up or stuff like that. You want to hear God spoken to you in very difficult circumstances. Support your leadership if you see that God is moving through them. And if God's not moving through them, tell your leadership. Tell them. I'm concerned because I'm hearing stuff from you that's not of God, it's just of you, and that worries me. Tell them that. Tell me that if ever I do that. I challenge you, I lay that down in front of you. Tell me that if ever I do that, because I want to hear that, because that will be something I will not react hostilely to, whatever the right word is. I will not react, I will take that. And if I think I'm right and I am in God, I'll explain to you why I believe that God's in that. Please don't do this natural reaction, which I did confess two years ago, of just grumbling. And finding someone else who's empathised with me and really grumbling with them. Until we get ourselves in such a circle of grumble. We we were going to take over the church and not those guys. Because they had no idea what they were doing and we were. And it's such a difficult and it's so easy to fall into. Don't be condemned. Be convicted if you've done it. If you're doing it right now, be convicted. Don't be condemned. Not right now. If you're talking right now, please stop. I'm trying to preach here. (laughs) And remember, God is the constant. There's only one constant in the life of this church because we can't even keep our name steady for more than five, ten years. The venue keeps changing. The elder sheet keeps changing. Everything is going to change, but the one thing will never, ever change. God's going to be the constant until Jesus Christ comes back and takes us all home, and then he's the constant for eternity, yeah? Hallelujah. Be aware the most famous person of the Old Testament. Moses, he had a film made about him, many films made about him. Moses never saw the actual fruit of what he did. And that's something for us to take on as individuals and those who lead. But even yourself, if you're witnessing to someone, you may never see the fruit of that work. You just need to know you were obedient in that moment when God said, do this, you did it. We have a situation recently that we're jealous of. And we should share it with you. Two, two young people, um, James and Fran Maine got saved, I think, two weeks ago, at Soul Survivor. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! They got saved at Soul Survivor. Our initial reaction was one of, why wasn't it the next one? I, you know, And immediately we went, no, hang on a minute. We played a part in their lives. It's wonderful to hear that they have become... Saved, and we're just praying now, God work in them. They justify, sanctify them. Help them through that. Hallelujah. If we see them and we're able to help them, fantastic. It's not... Soul survivors catch it's not jesus got them jesus saved them where he did it i don't care he can do it here now he can do it in a pub he can do it in a cathedral he can do it anywhere he will convict you of your sin show that he's the only way to resolve that and say through me you will stand in front of god and he will say welcome in ben atkins he will say your name that's the only truth that's the only way and i don't care where he does it I don't care where he does it. I just want to make sure that we do everything sure, to make sure that one day he does. For every individual we know, for every individual we meet. In many respects in leadership, we want to model ourselves on Joshua. And if we do it right, your leadership of this church, this is why some and I keep looking at Joshua, we will be bit part players in God's huge plan. Just bit part players who just did what he told us to do and God blessed Individuals in this church—that's all we're calling for. Joshua didn't get famous really until the Jericho thing. That was kind of his big moment when everyone went, "Whoa!" He really—but he didn't get famous because people said, "What a great military strategist!" Let's do that walking round, you know, town things every time, because he never did it again. People just said, "God's with him," and if God's with him, we'll follow him. So I'm going to end with the words of a song. We don't have time to play it. I was thinking we might. And we didn't sing it this morning, we did Promised Land, and there's a last verse, and it's good that we didn't in a way, because it allows me to kind of emphasise There's a last verse that is in the song Promised Land, and it goes, His name is Jesus, risen Saviour, He's our healer, death could not withstand. His name is Jesus, sent from heaven to take us homeward to the Promised Land. He'll take us in. He's our Joshua. No individual character or personality would be any more than just a bit part player in his plan to take you to the promised land. He'll take you. Jesus will take you. It's him who's coming back for you individually, by name. Us as a church collectively, is kind of become secondary at the moment because at that moment we are just part of God's enormous kingdom in praise and worship to him. So I end where I started in that truth. There's people here who are still on the brink of trying to make their decisions about whether this is all just a bunch of bunkum or really something. We could preach for months, never ever going to convince you of that. The only way you'll ever get convinced of that is a personal encounter with your risen Saviour. And that's what we pray for you. That's what we're going to do in a second. We're going to collectively pray for everyone that we know who's either aware of Christ and is struggling with it or is a away, that they will have that personal encounter with Christ. You know, I I now love inviting people to this church. And I have to say, there was a season where I didn't particularly want to. But I'm just so convinced that God's doing such a work in this. I love inviting people to this church. But that's not going to... You don't bring them to church to get them saved. You hopefully bring them to church to hear more about God, to see God's family together. But the only way they'll ever get saved is when they have a personal encounter with Christ. He convicts them of their sin and says, I'm the way. And if it happens right now, hallelujah. If it happens on Wednesday while you're in the bath, Hallelujah.